placement of a U.S. entity under the compliance structure of a non-U.S. entity that may lack familiarity with U.S. sanctions laws could prevent prompt identification and response to potentially prohibited conduct. The lesson learned from OFAC is make sure you have an expertise based in the United States. And that's an important compliance piece of information for global companies. Global companies face unprecedented risks and challenges in today's economy. To mitigate these legal and economic risks, companies are rapidly embracing and elevating the importance of robust ethics and compliance programs to promote positive corporate citizenship. On Corruption, Crime, and Compliance, you'll hear from industry leaders and insiders about how to create effective ethics and compliance programs that will mitigate risks and maximize financial performance. Here's your host, Michael Volkov. Welcome to Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Today, we're going to do a review 2023 for DOJ and OFAC sanctions enforcement and compliance. This podcast is a follow-on to a webinar that we conducted on January 16, 2024, and the full recording of the webinar is available on the YouTube channel for Volkoff Law. We have about 100 webinars recorded there on a variety of topics over the last 10 years or so. This is just going to be sort of more brief review, not as in-depth on case-by-case. If you want to listen to a case-by-case review, that's going to be on the YouTube channel. This is sort of more of a highlights presentation. So sanctions enforcement, if you've been following our writing, is a big increasing risk. That's a profound grasp of the obvious, if there ever was one. And the enforcement year upcoming, there's going to be aggressive DOJ and OFAC enforcement. We've seen plans for this. We've seen resources being allocated and 25 new prosecutors being set up in the National Security Division of the U.S. Justice Department with the idea of prosecuting corporations. We have a model for what that looks like. The British American Tobacco $629 million settlement is a model for future enforcement actions. We also, by analogy to the FCPA, have a model for cooperation or coordination between a regulatory or a civil enforcement agency, which is OFAC and criminal prosecutions being done by the Justice Department. Now, we also had a big year in terms of OFAC enforcement. We had 17 OFAC enforcement actions, totaled approximately $1.5 billion in penalties. Key compliance areas that were identified here was obviously third parties, but IP address screening is still big with geo-blocking capabilities and improvement of your internal controls. And we'll talk about that, and I'm going to be writing more about that in the coming weeks. And the companies need to prepare for vigilant monitoring and potential disclosure issues that can come up as we're going along. Now, just a reminder, we still have global sanction schemes focused on Russia, Cuba, Crimea, Syria, South Sudan, North Korea, Iran. Venezuela, remember, has been relax for a six-month period to see how the election proceeds. There's an upcoming election this year and various representations made by the Maduro administration as to how that's going to be conducted. The Russia sanctions continue to dominate in terms of enforcement and compliance issues, but the number of enforcement actions from OFAC this year were approximately 17, like I said, That is higher than 2022, less than the 20 that were involved in 2021. But more importantly, we had big fines and penalties this year 
of close over 1.5 billion. And the last year that was up around 1.3 billion was 2019. 2014 was about 1.2 billion and 2012 was about 1.1. So 2023 was a big year in terms of OFAC enforcement. And that's because it was dominated by two big cases, that being Binance, which we'll talk about, and the British American tobacco case. Now, from DOJ's standpoint, remember, sanctions enforcement is the new FCPA. And they are basically saying we're going to be applying the same model that we use against corporations in the FCPA. We're going to be applying that to sanctions. And we're going to start to see, I think, some prosecutions this year of companies, and they're going to be modeled on sort of the British American tobacco case. The number of DOJ enforcement actions in general in 2023 was about 38, and that includes economic sanctions, dual-use export controls, and ITAR actions. But it also mainly was against individuals, primarily. We had a few companies, like we said, British American Tobacco. The DOJ's criminal cases against companies and individuals of the number, primarily 19 involved Russia, 13 involved Iran sanctions, four involved the China sanctions, and two involved North Korea, and one Pakistan. Now let's talk about the British American tobacco case, because that's the highlight of the year. $629 million penalty. The Justice Department and OFAC basically caught British American tobacco selling cigarettes to North Korea. And DOJ also charged a North Korean banker and two Chinese facilitators. What British American Tobacco did, which was pretty blatant, was they set up a subsidiary in Singapore, which basically entered into a joint venture after the supposed Singapore subsidiary had sold out. Well, it turned out the partner in the joint venture was just merely a cover for British American Tobacco to continue. And British American Tobacco had to enter into a deferred prosecution agreement, and OFAC announced a separate settlement for $508 million, which was the largest fine against a non-financial institution in OFAC's history. That'll eventually get broken, I think, in this new regime that's coming up. So between 2007 and 2017, British American Tobacco processed payments for tobacco sold to North Korean entities through a third-party company approximately $418 million in U.S. dollars. And the North Korean purchasers themselves used front companies so that the U.S. banks would not know about the connection to North Korea because anytime you touch a U.S. dollar, it's going to go through a correspondent banking relationship to somebody that can trade in dollars. So British American Tobacco created a fake joint venture under which it continued to exercise control through restrictive provisions. And the joint venture was used to disguise these continued payments to British American tobacco for tobacco products sold to North Korea. Now, as a result of this new push by DOJ, what's going to happen is there's going to be a new calculus, a new balancing of whether or not to voluntarily disclose to the government. Why do I say that? Because OFAC, for example, voluntary disclosure is considered a mitigating factor. And you usually get half off of your penalties right away with a voluntary disclosure. But now, because of DOJ's new emphasis and the adoption of a voluntary disclosure program by the National Security Division, a company that voluntarily self-discloses, fully cooperates, timely and appropriately remediates, very similar to the 
corporate enforcement program in the criminal division. And in the absence of an aggravating factor, you will not have to plead guilty, but you'll earn a presumption of a non-prosecution agreement and will not pay a fine. But even if there's an aggravating circumstance, a company will earn a 50% fine reduction and no corporate monitor by voluntary disclosure. The interesting part about this is if you had a situation where there's evidence of a willful, in other words, a knowing intentional violation of the sanctions, not that you have to know exactly what sanctions, what provision is, but there's almost a general criminal intent. If you know that, and if you have evidence of that, then it means that you would have to disclose not only to OFAC, but to the Justice Department as well. And it's important that an act is willful and understanding that if it's done with knowledge that the conduct is illegal. That's the standard. I think the number of voluntary disclosures involving both DOJ and OFAC is going to increase. So let's talk about just a few of the more significant cases in terms of this past year on sanctions enforcement. I think we got to start with Microsoft. That was a really interesting case. Even though the penalty that was involved was just $2.9 million, it was just an OFAC case for illegal exports to specially designated nationals and sanctioned jurisdictions, including Cuba, Iran, Syria, and Russia. And most violations by Microsoft in this case involved the Crimea region, which was prohibited starting in 2014 after Russia invaded Crimea. Until 2019, Microsoft conducted 1,000 almost 339 transactions involving the sale of software licenses and related services. And they were basically transactions that were facilitated through third-party licensing partners. Microsoft failed to identify and secure end-user information and confirmations from these third parties. And Microsoft Russian employees often disguised identities of SDNs by using pseudonyms. The screening technology that Microsoft had did not aggregate information from various internal sources to use in verifying identities or conducting due diligence, nor did it apply the 50% rule to identify prohibited parties connected to the existing SDN. So Microsoft voluntarily disclosed the violations and responded with significant, and that's what we need to review here in really interesting, remedial measures. The remediation required that the Russian service contracts now be cleared by Microsoft's high-risk deal desk. So they created a deal desk for high-risk jurisdictions or any sort of red flag type of transaction. They implemented an end-to-end -end screening system that gathered data when an outside party first makes contact with the company. They collect risk-based compliance-oriented data to enable accurate and reliable restricted party screening, and they screen the data on a recurring basis, in other words, on an ongoing basis. They also improved their red flag resolution procedures by conducting additional independent research. For example, Microsoft deployed a multidisciplinary internal investigative team to review and research potential restricted party hits, and the investigative team members were fluent or proficient in 16 foreign languages. They also deployed detailed sanctions compliance training for certain employees and jurisdictions and adopted a new three lines of defense model to govern its trained compliance program while emphasizing management oversight and compliance monitoring. And they terminated or otherwise disciplined the Microsoft Russia employees engaged in the activity. Interesting case. 
some new best practices from the compliance standpoint and building a more robust trade compliance sanctions compliance program. Let's go one other case before we get to the other big case, which was Binance, but Murad, which paid $3.3 million for Iran sanctions violations. Over an eight-year period ending in 2018, Murad, a U.S. cosmetics company, illegally exported goods and services to Iran in 62 separate transactions. It's worth about $11 million. Now, Murad, a cosmetics company, was acquired by Unilever in 2015. Once the misconduct was discovered as continuing, Unilever voluntarily disclosed the conduct to OFAC. And they paid $3.3 million. What's also interesting is OFAC prosecuted a former senior executive who entered into two distribution agreements with an Iran-based distributor and knowing that they were in violation of the sanctions, and he had to pay $175,000. Starting in 2009, Murad had entered into an exclusive agreement with the distributor to sell Murad's products in the Middle East, including Iran. The executive signed the distribution agreement, and Murad had a pending application before OFAC for a specific license, which got turned down. In May of 2015, executive also signed a new agreement with the same distributor for a related UAE-based company, but obviously with the intent to service customers in Iran. So like I said, in July of 2015, Unilever agreed to acquire Murad. Transaction closed on September 1st, 2015. And Murad never disclosed to Unilever, and I wonder what the pre-acquisition due diligence looks like, but they never disclosed its prior and ongoing business activities involving Iran. Unilever only discovered the conduct in a post-acquisition audit. But it was pretty obvious because for six years, Murad maintained a website for its Iran business activities under the web address murad.ir for Iran. Unilever discovered the activities six weeks after the acquisition closed. The senior executives at Murad continued to sell products to Iran, and Murad's last export to Iran occurred on January 24, 2018. So even after they continued this activity, after it was discovered, after it was disclosed to OFAC, the activity continued until Murad's bank inquired about specific payments involving Iran. So one interesting point that was made here by OFAC is that OFAC about sanctions compliance organizations, they noted that the Murad staff in the United States reported to a UK-based trade compliance staff and Unilever's UK globally centralized compliance staff lacked an adequate understanding of OFAC sanctions. Now, OFAC went out of its way to make this point, and I think it's something that every global company should take into account. Placement of a U.S. entity under the compliance structure of a non-U.S. entity that may lack familiarity with U.S. sanctions laws could prevent prompt identification and response to potentially prohibited conduct. The lesson learned from OFAC is make sure you have an expertise based in the United States. And that's an important compliance piece of information for global companies. The other important reminder out of the Murad case is the importance of pre-acquisition and post-acquisition due diligence and follow up to make sure that sanctions issues are buttoned up and that they cease in the appropriate way. Okay, let's talk about one last case and then we'll move on. And that is the Binance case. 
Binance was a $4.3 billion settlement involving one of the largest cryptocurrency exchanges on the globe. And they ended up pleading guilty to criminal violations of the Bank Secrecy Act, failure to register as a money transmitting business and violations of the International Emergency Economic Powers Act, which provides the sanctions authority for the Justice Department and OFAC. Binance agreed to pay $4.3 billion and then appoint a compliance monitor for three years. $1.8 billion was credited by the Justice Department because it was shared among OFAC, FinCEN, and the CFTC. Binance's settlement with OFAC resolved over 1.6 million violations of multiple sanctions programs for a fine of $968 million. Meanwhile, its CEO pled guilty to related violations, including failure to maintain an effective AML, anti-money laundering program, in violation of the Bank Secrecy Act. Binance is a Cayman Island virtual currency exchange. And between 2017 and 2022, Binance matched and executed virtual currency trades on its online exchange platform between U.S. person users and users in sanctioned jurisdictions or blocked persons. They projected basically a false image of compliance. Senior Binance management knew of and permitted U.S. and sanctioned jurisdiction users on its platform, even though they knew they were violating the sanctions laws. And Binance management took steps to undermine its compliance function by encouraging users to bypass the company's controls in this area. So that's definitely headline case in terms of penalty involved, $4.3 billion. But all in all, an interesting year for sanctions. And obviously, we're looking at a much bigger year. A couple of reminders, though, before we close out here, is we also had a big, probably the largest administrative penalties case in the history of the Bureau of Industry and Security of the U.S. Department of Commerce. And they have warned companies of a new era of aggressive export control enforcement. And BIS had a $300 million settlement with Seagate Technology its largest administrative penalty in BIS history, and I'm sure that's under investigation by the Justice Department and will probably be used as a big splash of its new corporate enforcement program. In that case, Seagate violated the Wowie sanctions and deliberately did so after knowing that there were greater restrictions provided against Wowie. In August of 2020, BIS imposed controls over foreign-produced items by Wowie, including a license requirement for various types of products that it was producing. And Seagate basically ignored the export controls and continued to sell hard disk drives to Wowie in violation of this foreign direct product rule. And they also knew that their competitors had stopped supplying Wowie, so they took it as an opportunity to corner the market with Wowie and did a sole source contract. One other reminder, remember your sanctions compliance program. This is a year to really take a look and update it, enhance it, and we encourage you to do so. We're here to help if you need it at Volkoff Law, get in touch with us. But always remember the key five elements of a sanctions compliance program, management commitment, a risk assessment, don't forget your supply chain, internal controls that elevate red flags and overall compliance testing and auditing your program. And remember, there's an annual training requirement for sanctions compliance every year for responsible persons. Every year, a training requirement. Well, thanks everybody. 
We'll see you next week with another episode of Corruption, Crime, and Compliance. Have a great week. Thank you. If you enjoyed this episode, the best way to support the show is by subscribing on your favorite listening platform. To learn more and connect with Michael Volkov, go to volkovlaw.com. 